Hello, and welcome to Homebrew Schmombrew. We're the podcast that focuses on interviewing people who love games. And as usual, I'm your host, Elmer. And uh, as unusual, uh, your other host today is Kevin, who was in the uh, episode I Need an Adult last season. So everyone say hello to my favorite Nightmare Goblin boy, Kevin. Uh, unusual is right. Unusual is very right. Um, I'm going to do my best to take this episode off the rails, uh, down into the caves, through the mines, into the Underdark. Let's see what I can do. I'm going to get silly. Uh, the question is, uh, are you going to take us to Mel- Melnibivne, I think is what it is? I'm not going to attempt to say that. Okay. Um, I'm a goblin, not a smart boy. So I see you're just as helpful as Rodney, so that's awesome. <laughs> and uh, today we are here with Manny, who is uh, Dungeon Manny on Twitter. And uh, he's going to be kind enough to talk to us about his gaming experience and about, uh, you know, a little bit in depth about the Eberron setting for uh, Dungeons and Dragons. So if you want to, you know, ride your lightning rail or uh, have questions about your dragon mark, he's going to help you with that. So uh, Manny, uh, say hi to the audience. And uh, here is your time to shamelessly plug all of your things. Okay. I don't get a cool Goblin Boy intro, so that's fine. Um, but I'm Manny uh, at Grotto Geek on all of the social medias, Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, 43 years old. I have been a Dungeon Master since 1990. Um, and currently uh, on my Twitch channel, we are running two uh, campaigns on Tuesday nights. I do uh, Eberron, uh, Tranquility's Betrayal which is the title for season two. It starts uh, actually tomorrow as of the time of this recording. And then on Wednesday nights, I do a uh, kind of high concept, high fantasy, Forgotten Realms, dragon themed uh, show, Dynasty of Dragons as well. I I checked out some of your episodes and I see that they're, you know, about three and a half hours long, which I think is about an average game time. Uh, But can you give us like the cinematic trailer for each show so people have an idea what they're getting themselves into? So uh, we'll get into like kind of the nuts and bolts of Eberron. But essentially, um, I was uh, I have an undergraduate degree in political science. So in order to put that education to use, um, we're doing uh, for Eberron, it's essentially a, like a political entry campaign is the, t- is the easiest way to kind of explain it. Um, it's a lot of grounded in factions, relations, uh, very social uh, pillar heavy um, in Dungeons and Dragons. And it's a war succession, just the kind of easy fantasy fair that also kind of translates to a tabletop RPG uh, for my players. And then on Wednesday nights, uh, our Dynasty of Dragons campaign is essentially a concept riff of uh, a rod of seven parts thereafter, um, orbs, sort of uh, pieces of a rod. But uh, dragons have been extinct for 1600 years uh, to the point where they've been relegated to myth and legend. And uh, our party suddenly summoned for their, that's uh, a high level uh, campaign as well. So summoned by the Lord's Alliance for their past heroic deeds. Uh, and like most operations, they are fed very little information, uh, discover things only to return to their patron, as it were, um, and to find out that she already knew those things. So the party feels very used, but understand the stakes of it all and are compelled to continue despite not liking who they work for. It sounds kind of a... Uh... Kind of, uh, sorry, I, I'm losing it for a second. It, it just, uh, the uh, patron already knowing makes me think about never ending story. I've never but... seen it, much to my wife's chagrin. Oh, wow. I know, I know. Uh, Your facial expressions were, were great, by the way. <laughs> I do what I can. I, I like to emote, you know, people. You <laughs> yeah. know. But, uh, so that, those sound interesting. I really, uh, I always like to see, uh, you know, games that are a little different. So, like in my last campaign, the uh, there was only one of each type of dragon, and uh, they were like semi-godlike entities. I think that taking uh, one of the basics of the game and twisting it into something like kind of unusual is something the players enjoy. Like, is that a, a strategy that you use, or it's that it's like if you come up with a plot that's too heady or too complicated, it you know you don't know what to do. And as great as your players are, it's going to be kind of beyond where they're you know, kind of rational mind and their, you know, TTRPG minds kind of meet. And that possibility of you being able to do anything in a tabletop role-playing game almost becomes like a burden because you don't really kind of understand the format. The You know, nothing's really original in, you know, writing and plotting. They're all just kind of reflavored versions of 
classic stories or whatever. So that part is very handy just to kind of give them at least the framework of how to proceed in like the big picture thing. We did this one dragon vault. We've got the, you know, the, artifact the MacGuffin. uh it has been you know led to believe to us that there are multiples of these so we've sought out this one achieved this now we have to go look for the next one and so on and so on that and then with that that's good because they know what to do where to go kind of what's going on and then the the little twists and turns that you put in there are what really sets it apart from just you know, I mean, we talked about this in the pre-show, just the concept of the Rod of Seven Parts. I don't know somebody who hasn't run something like that, but they've all been vastly different. But that just kind of narrative structure of the Rod of Seven Parts concept is the thing that everybody kind of gets. You know, you're after a rod in a more traditional sense, you know, we're after uh, orbs. And those things like are really helpful to, to people and make everybody's experience unique with the twist that their respective dungeon master comes up with. Well, I think that like the MacGuffin quest is a very classic classic format to use. Like I'm, I'm admiring your background there and I see, uh, you know, the gauntlet with the infinity stones. So, I mean, that's a classic MacGuffin or, you know, you mentioning orbs makes me think about the Dragonlance novels and the dragon yeah. orbs, which were the MacGuffins there. So, I mean, I, I love a good MacGuffin, personally. Sure. Um, oh, yeah. And there's also something to say, as someone who's been a player more often than not, um, having that constraint, that specific goal to chase, in addition to whatever the DM might throw at us, is what helps focus me as a player. If I have an ultimate goal in mind, I can take whatever character backstory I've written up for myself and apply it to that goal while still using it in the environment around me. So that's, I would call that a comfortable position of storytelling. And I really like that. So let's uh, let's jump in a little bit to your background. I know you said you've been a, a GM since 1990. So that uh, sounds like you started off with some second ed. Um, uh, Redbox uh, and then okay. into second, and then into second edition AD&D. Yeah. I'm not even aware of what Redbox is. I'm 27. <laughs> It was, they, they sold boxes by, and this, this could just be, you know, my memory from when I was 10 years old, that um, they gave it to you, red was basic, then there was advanced, um, and then like two harder tiers, and I think it was just kind of layering in like concepts as you progressed before you went into like second edition AD&D, which is when it kind of really started to get crunchy and, you know, leading up to like three and 3.5 was the kind of jump, at least like in the big picture mechanics of what you could do. So this was like, it, for me, it was an absolute like perfect starter thing. I was like, I guess it's, you know, kind of the equivalent to the two that they've done with um, fifth edition, what are they? Starters and Essentials Kit. Um, gives you a rough concept of the rules, gives you the framework for everything, but not all the pieces to put in because they're just trying to keep it simple and then kind of a thing where you're like, hey, for people who've never done it before can kind of come in and go, okay, this is Dungeons and Dragons. I've played it. I really enjoy it. I understand, you know, the, the concept of the possibilities. Um, I'm ready for, you know, a little bit more and a little bit more. And then you go, hey, here's the here's the player's handbook. This is this is everything all at once. And instead of starting like from scratch of like, I have no idea how this works and trying to read it, trying to learn an edition by reading it is is so hard. Mm -hmm. It is so hard. And we adopted fifth edition like the second it came out. Um, we bought the books. They were staggered one month apart. We bought them like the day they came out and it, it just come out. I don't even know anybody else who plays who could explain it to me. So uh -huh. me and all my friends, we are just pouring over. It's, it was like college all over again. College textbooks are just horrendously dry. And here it is, like, this is horrendously dry. And like, I want to read it and I want to understand it because I want to get to rolling some dice with my friends. And in the meantime, like, we're just checking up with each other and be like, how you doing, man? But like, well, I'm in races <laughs> cool races is awesome and then you're like hey i moved into spell casting and you're like Ugh, kind of rough yeah i know Learning that about uh, doffing armor the uh i was just thinking about the other thing about that is that you know handing somebody a 300 page book when they're trying to get into the hobby is not a great way to attract new folks right. here you know do this reading assignment and then we'll play with you isn't always a good approach so sure yeah it's like hey do you want to have some fun i have a you know i have a reading list for you I'm like man what is this is a safe read english like god okay <laughs> uh, i have to ask Ooh, you about i am the, the type of person who loves that <laughs> <laughs> i have to ask you about the red box though 
Uh, do you remember the uh, the play by yourself adventure at the beginning of it? I do, um, because I was an only child, so I, I played with my cousins, so we could only play like on the weekends and stuff. And I, I, it was one of the first things I remember, aside from like video games, that I really remember at like a young age taking to it like almost immediate. Uh, yeah, like, I remember. I, just, I I loved it from from the jump, and I, I go ahead. Sorry, I was super into it too, and I failed the very first saving throw, so I lost, like, the first time I read through it. Uh, I played a magic user, so, I, you know, I was like, it's, I don't know, it's three hit points a lot? It's, I mean, it's better than one, right? What do you got, like, nine? Pfft, cool, fine. And then, like, you know, a rat. You're like, well, you're dead. What do you mean we're dead? We played for, like, four minutes. Like, yeah, you're dead. Or I'll make a new character. Can I make another wizard? I mean, do you really want to? <laughs> or you're playing, the, kind of. you're, you're playing the wizard and you cast your one spell and then you're just kind of chilling out for the rest of the day while everybody else does stuff. Yeah. Oh, hey, can I we take a rest? Dart. No. I throw another dart. <laughs> do you want to use your dagger? Hell no. <laughs> Stay back here. Let the rat get at me again? Are yeah, you? Yeah, no. Yeah, I learned the first time. Yeah, no. Good luck, good luck, fighter. <laughs> get up there. It's in your title. I'm, I'm a book nerd. So, uh, you know, after that uh, that early love, did you find yourself gravitating more towards running games or playing them? Always running them. Um, I I kind of understood the dynamic like very is that there are way more players than there are dungeon masters, and I I don't have to wait if I want to play Dungeons and Dragons. I can get a game together in like two hours. Um, I've done it after work. I just my community Discord. I I've never been a dungeon master sitting around going, man. I really wish I could play Dungeons and Dragons right now. If only I had a group of willing players. And you know, back in the '80s and '90s, that was that was a legit thing. You're just kind of on your own little island and hope that your friends are into it. Um, in 2022, between you know Discord and all kinds of things, I I. I can I can play Dungeons and Dragons whenever I feel like it, and that is such a cool thing to me. Like I don't I don't I'm never like helpless in the in the transaction of playing, and I just I love that I can I can you know I'm the I'm the pretty girl at the at the party that kind of thing, and <laughs> it's it's a weird analogy, but it, it is, and so i right I've always I've always loved um, the the dungeon master thing, um, telling telling the story like that's that's the that's the big thing is like leading a story and seeing where people not me take it is the most is the most it's the most satisfying thing in the world in this kind of area to me like i i just i love it yeah i love if that let me ask a question oh you uh, first no you go ahead <laughs> mine is a little off top okay go ahead um where do you find your inspiration for stories being a dungeon master for so long i'm sure you feel like you've touched on almost every archetype of, of storytelling so far. Everyone's done their Lord of the Rings campaign. Uh, hobbits are not, you know? Sure. Um, I don't know. So far, I've run Rime of the Frostmaiden, which was our first uh, campaign on the channel. And that was just because as somebody who didn't know anybody who was literally looking for people online to play with, I figured I'd run a module because at least this way, like all I need to do is just be a competent, like mechanical dungeon master, understand how the rules work, that kind of thing. Um, after that, I wanted to, I wanted to tell two stories that I wanted to do. Um, like I said, as a political science major, um, I have a master's of fine arts in film, so I have a lot of education that just is for for funsies and kills at trivia. Um, I, I don't know, like where I just the political. Entry campaign, like I said, it's a war of succession. So it is very kind of grounded and based in like a realistic mm -hmm. kind of manner that I wanted to tell like a, like I said, like a war of succession. It's not, it's not dragons. It's not giants. It's you fighting against an enemy from inside your own nation, the destabilization of which could set off what is essentially a world war and like that. So for that, I'm going to guess history. Um, Eberron, we'll probably get into this in a little bit, is very analogous to pre-World War One and post-World War One. Europe, um, that there's just a lot of things in there that you can see um, that it's it's just way cooler to turn it into 
something for fun and knowing the heroes are going to triumph without any real kind of calamities in the real world and just play through it that way. So for that one, history, and then for Dynasty of Dragons, I, I wanted to I wanted to tell a dragon story. Tyranny of Dragons to, you know, not Wizards of the Coast, but I forget who, Monty Cook Games, is that who did um, Tyranny? Um, oh, you'd have to ask Elmer. <laughs> like I, said, so, I, I think a, a so. Third, uh... a, okay. Sorry about um, that. It's I, totally fine. It's a it's it, the game is called Dungeons and Dragons, and so mm -hmm. you would figure. Well, I would because of where my head is that you would want your big like centerpiece magnum opus per an edition to be a dragon themed campaign and they went the direction to launch a brand new edition with a dragon themed campaign which is on paper probably a very good but yeah. for a million different reasons. Um, it tyranny like really falls flat it it just does it sh it is very clear that a lot of it was done in the kind of lead up to the finalization of 5e's rule set mm. as well as not having had enough time with the finished mechanics and like world to really bring something to life it's like your first anything at uh, doing something you can be great at it it's just not going to be as good most likely as your third fourth fifth one when you've got all the mistakes you've made everything along the way so i've always wanted to tell like a dragon story and then everything else a lot of it depends on my groups depending on who mm -hmm. they are um i i know some of them pretty well and just kind of go you know what story you know so and so would like i think they'd like this so if we put them with this person and this person and make a group out of that i think collectively they would like this story that's a great answer i like that answer a lot your last little bit there about uh, insights into your players that you may have that's i i just admirable. i i i just have like and this isn't like a brag it's just when you when you do this like you're, i'm constant i i have a 40 minute drive to and from work each way every single day and it's in traffic and i don't do anything and mm -hmm. so I, I i my brain idly goes to either you know the campaigns that i currently have or if they're getting towards the end what we're gonna do next and you get these little nuggets you're like man that'd be cool and you don't flesh it out anything so you have like all these little seeds all over the place and then by looking at your players you go okay which one of these seeds do i actually want to plant that i can see and go this group would would really dig this maybe i should start really kind of fleshing it out more than just you know something scribbled on a post-it note and stuck to my wall uh in my office as an aspiring dm that's that's a very good perspective and i'm going to take it <laughs> right. like um, I said, it's just it, the, the the dm advice i always give people is two things one be the dungeon master you always wanted um and then the other thing and it's it's very simple and probably oversimplified find out what your players want and give it like like it's 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 that simple if they want combat don't force a social heavy campaign on them because then that's just kind of a power move of the dm this is what we're going to play because i want to and you're you're doing a disservice to these people who give up time and all these things and put in an, an amount of effort to just intentionally not give them what they want i'm not going to mm -hmm. go to dr strange and get a comedy and be and have sam raimi tell me like haha that's what you get you came to see my movie like no that's not, that's, that's not how it works you know you 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 have to sam raimi has to also make the movie that people are going to want to see and dungeon master is a lot smaller scale but give them what they what they came for find that out and and give it to them yeah and i think uh dungeon master and players being unable to come together on expectations for a game is one of the quickest way to guarantee a campaign's going to end early. So we, yeah, we had that with our Eberron campaign, and I, I assume all of the responsibility for how it was very awkward at the beginning. Uh, in my head, this political intrigue campaign that we're doing, I've been working on it for years since Five uh, E came out with their Eberron um, source book. For my group, who are not of the type that typically gravitate towards a campaign that would be sold as political intrigue. There were a bunch of things that seemed automatic to me, um, you know, social decorum in front of monarchs. This isn't, you know, this isn't like time to be murder hobos. Like maybe we can take the guards. No, they are the best, you know, fighters in their in their nation. They are the secret service to this monarch. They are not, you know, CR6 city guards. 
They are, you know, CR 19 death knights is what I use for their stat block because I want them to be just like the secret service or anybody else. They are not going to let four random idiots just stroll in here, talk any kind of way and then kill their way out and then leave. That is, that is entirely impossible in a, situation like this that is fantastic i'm the kind of player who loves that kind of limitation in the world because it makes the world feel more concrete and believable um i had a really similar experience with a game uh called legend of the five rings that elmer's husband actually ran where i was personally unaware of different rules of decorum that sort of thing and i almost lost my head several times just not for for not refusing gifts a couple of times if you accept a gift right away in this setting it is of bad manners and it will affect you poorly i like that kind of thing quite a bit i like jan's it method for dealing with that because what he always does <laughs> is the first time you're about to mess up he'll warn you like just in case like the player knowledge doesn't match character knowledge he'll let you know but if he's told you something and then you're going to continue trying to to ignore it then you're going to pay your pay the consequences. Yeah. So I, I think with a political intrigue game, that sort of uh, learning curve is important because sometimes the players just don't know. Right. And it, like I said, that's where that's where the whole thing fell on me is, you know, they were treating this like your more traditional Dungeons and Dragons campaign, just with this kind of Eberron, lots of kings and princes wrapping around it. Um, and it's more than, you know, a kind of narrative and visual aesthetic. There's more to it than this. And if you've never done that, then you don't know. You also don't know that you don't know to ask. Be like, hey, is there anything about the way we roleplay our characters in game that would be different from Forgotten Realms where, you know, nobody would have a problem giving the finger to somebody. And maybe maybe that's just my perception of Forgotten Realms. But my, uh... the <laughs> but what I had to learn in Forgotten Realms was you don't give the finger to everyone because every third NPC is a 20th level wizard. <laughs> I was like, I don't use a lot of wizards. Um, but I just, and like I said, that's on me. I didn't explain to them. I didn't think I had to. And so we got to this uh, situation. It was like our fourth or fifth episode where um, one of our players like really started going off he had an anti-authority doesn't like monarchies oppressing people and really started going off about this and i you know i'm doing all the narrative things the guards uh stiffen their posture hands on the swords they slide in closer to the prince uh two of them now block your exit and and just great believable role play i'm just going man i don't want to kill you for this this is this is absolutely great you know you're embodying this character these things are genuine um it's a very back and forth dynamic so it's like happening and it's just this really cool thing and all i'm thinking is all right man you have to de-escalate this or else he's going to keep going and eventually you're going to have to do something and it just it just kept going and i didn't know how to do it and we ended and i was the only like retcon we've ever done i was like look you guys i i was and then i explained to them all like they're not gonna let you talk to them like this they're sure as hell aren't gonna help you with anything after this these are these are princes and kings and they don't even like you making eye contact with them much less calling them like a genocidal murderer um, yeah and now as a result of this also also partially my fault you guys are kind of like progress locked here this was supposed to be a very perfunctory go meet the prince go make nice talk to him find out what he wants and then bugger off and now it is you've almost started an international incident he sure as hell isn't going to help you and you're just kind of standing there and i'm kind of going oh, oh god i don't know what to do now um so we we stopped after the session and we 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 talked we're like look you guys this is this is kind of the my thought process to this it's my fault i didn't explain it but this is how this is going to go we're going to do this whole thing again um with all these things in real mind. quick yeah that i think is a note anyone could listen anyone listening could take is that talking about things before or even after they happen with your group is always a good idea always 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 a good idea if you feel like something didn't go completely right talk talk about it i i think that that's that's true 90 percent of the issues at a table 
probably 95% of the issues at the table can be resolved if you just all talk about it. And mm-hmm. if there's someone and in your group that you think you just can't talk to, that's a problem in and of itself. Yes. Um, I, you know, my Tuesday show, we've been together for a year and a half. Uh, the Wednesday show, uh, it's been going for four or five months, but we've been playing together on and off for about uh, a year. And <sighs> it, it was every time I used to do a one-shot show before I did the Dragon show. And that was hard because every week it would be essentially a new group of people, sometimes familiar, but sometimes just a person that this was their first time playing with us on the channel. And we would have to, we'd have to explain it. And I would every single time because I don't want anybody to, anything to go horribly wrong, my players to have a bad experience because everybody's not understanding like the expectation. And then as our kind of community has grown, uh, we've codified it. We have like rules for everything, you know, expectations of players, expectations of me. And it just, hey, look, read this. Uh, this is going to be your first time playing with us. Here are also our um, our safety measure survey. Fill that out as well. Um, and then this way, those things get done. And even if it's your first time, you kind of filled it all out. If you come back and you see it, you see that we're serious about this. Like, I don't want yeah. anybody to ever, this is supposed to be a lot of fun, and it is. And well, I and don't it, want these serious topics to lead to people being uncomfortable. So as long as we cover these things, like, very thoroughly, professionally, and almost, you know, kind of like a doctor's office would. These are your forms. This is, you know, what's acceptable and what isn't. Um, it. It's awkward and it sucks because it's still supposed to be like, hey, we're just here to roll some dice and have some fun. But it prevents a lot of things with like 45 minutes of me kind of having to be like the principal. All right, everybody, listen up. Fill this Mm -hmm. out, blah, blah, blah. Cool. Everybody, anybody have any questions? No? Cool. Okay, that part's done. Let's go be the fun part of this now that we all have, you know, kind of a concept of what everybody's expectations are and how you're supposed to behave in a group and it sucks that you have to do that but you do (laughs) i think it's an important part of any table sure yeah you kind of told us about something that went wrong in the uh in your dragon camp campaign uh could you tell us about what your favorite moment from that campaign has been so far um i because of my film background and everything i do treat my sessions like an episode of television whatever and so we like to structure it like that with a big cliffhanger at the end before the session's over. That's why our time like fluctuates all over the place. Um, I look just for a very cool narrative beat to end on and to have everybody go, oh, all right, well, next week. Um, and the, the, the very premiere of it, um, like I said, they're after dragons. They might, they've been extinct for 1600 years. Um, I asked in the pregame like questionnaire for the PCs whether they would have you know, kind of followed history and been aware that these were a thing, they're just extinct or whatever. Or there's also a subset of the populace who are flat out dragon deniers. They never existed. This is all fake. Um, yeah. Yes, oh, I love a tinfoil the- hat theory. Okay. And so, you know, they've, you know, in the meta, they know this game's about dragons. It's called Dynasty yeah. of Dragons. It's right there, the title. Um, so they're getting, they go through this uh, mine, meet these mysterious, uh, like, dead bodies, and then open a door. And if you're doing it this way, you go, okay, every vault slash dungeon is going to have a dragon in it. And that's going to be the, ooh, a dragon. Um, <laughs> instead, the first one they came to, instead of it being a dragon in the vault, it was 80 unhatched dragon eggs so they are they were level 14 at the time there's four of them um so you know like one dragon egg two three whatever uh no we did 80 talk about shifting the world's balance of power and it ended with it you know and i i have a screenshot of it it's one of my favorite screenshots from from our channel is the reveal on our virtual tabletop where I unclick the fog of war to show all of the dragon eggs in this vault. Like I, I, you know, I went frame by frame with it to find just the greatest moment where everybody's, you know, eyes are all big. And what a egg. mic drop. Yeah. And it was great. And I just, the fact that I went back and found like the exact right frame of footage to get the best reaction, uh, like visually just, you can't, you can't fake that. You can't, like their reactions are so pure and so genuine that it that's the part that really got me and i took it and just seeing it and these are people i've played with for more than a year um 
And so I wanted to do this really big thing for them and to see it pay off like it did and to have actual like visual proof that it worked. It's not one of those things like, yeah, man, that thing was great. And you just whatever, yeah. but it's, it's genuine and it's right there and you can't, you, nobody can fake that. That is what it was. It was genuine. And I, I love that moment. I have it in one of my folders just every once in a while. I'm like, Hey, let's look at everybody looking stupid. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Kevin, that's what it's all about. Uh, Kevin and I were creeping your channel a little bit before, uh, interviewing you just to get an idea of what you do. And, uh, we were taken by, uh, you know, some of your maps and like, I think the intro to your, uh, to your channel is very good. Uh, also, the character sketches I think are really helpful because it gives you an idea immediately of who everyone is. Like there have been a couple actual plays, I'm not gonna name any names, where like they haven't done any visuals and like I've forgotten entirely who characters were after listening to episodes. So like I think those were good, uh, good things. We for you started to for your audience. We started with theater of the mind. You know, I didn't I didn't know anything about streaming. I just wanted to play basically just played theater of the mind dungeons and dragons over zoom um and as we've we've carried on and i've i've met people and i've played with others um you pick up these things and the visual part i've like i said I've, i'm old school so theater of the mind is how i've always worked so that's that's where my head goes so a lot of that stuff when i first did it it wasn't for me it was for you know the my streaming audience and it was for my players and as we've gone on um Especially now that I make I make all of our maps um, in Incarnate, so it it's become a very visual thing that I feel has made th you know the kind of presentation of the campaign infinitely better than it was when we started in uh, in January of 2021. I'm still the same dungeon master, more or less, um, same style, same players even, but it just i feel like their engagement is better um there's a lot less time kind of dealing with the abstract how far am i away from the dragon am i you know can i make it can i do this am i within reach um we we streamline all of those things out and it just becomes a much more kind of focused dungeons and dragons experience where they're moving things around on the map and doing combat or we are using them to visually kind of get an idea of the story being told and it's been it's for them uh the way they responded and just the things that i don't have to deal with um like answering a million questions about things just because i can't explain them well enough or as well as a visual component can and it's just it's really grown we have great artists um at Chris Designs 99 does our overlays and our animated logo at the very beginning. Um, at Rakolai uh, is an amazing uh, character artist. He does all of our character art. Um, and then I do uh, the actual animated intro uh, for my film background. Okay, so I wanted to ask you, um, I'm a Theater of the Mind guy too. And like, there are actually some earlier episodes where we, we discussed it a little bit. Um, like, what was the uh, learning curve on Incarnate? Like, how long did it take you to learn how to do it? How long do you think you spend prepping maps now before a game? I, because I have campaigns and they're my kind of planning nature is I know things that are coming. So like the bigger maps that I have to make, I work on those for weeks. I have one that I don't need for probably two or three more weeks that I am just finishing up now for uh, Eberron. And then smaller ones, ones where I just kind of go, we could theater of the mind this and just essentially, you know, kind of hand wave the visual part. And then I go, ah, we're kind of just dead and it's not very visual. The audience, I might lose the audience. They might kind of, and so for those, uh, like I'll throw those together like the night before, depending. Like if I need like a throne room or a tavern, maybe like a city street, um, those kinds of things I'll throw together a day or two ahead of time. The bigger, like the one I'm working on right now is a mansion. Um, of a of a wizard in Thay. So that one's been probably be about five weeks of work. It's very intuitive. I had the benefit of having somebody make a map uh, that I had commissioned over their stream show. So uh, they're making the map, um, asking me questions over stream. I'm replying in chat. Other people are, you know, chiming in with their thoughts. And then I get to watch them actually just make it all the clicking, all the, you know, the drop downs and everything. So that was like two hours. Um, and that was unbelievably handy. Incarnate is very, very um, user-friendly. It really is. It is 
here's all of your assets. Here's your map. Um, it's way more powerful than I probably know how to use it for. Um, but it, it's 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 really good. And I think it was like $25 for the year for the paid version, which I think is a great deal. I'm, I'm going to shift gears on you for a second. Um, uh-huh. I know you've been uh, running games for a while. Can you tell us who your favorite character or NPC that you've ever you've ever run was? <sighs> um, my favorite PC was uh, a wizard. I played on somebody's uh, streaming channel uh, a couple of years ago. Um, Algernon Altano, uh, Divination Wizard from Chult. Um, I told the Dungeon Master I was going to play this Divination Wizard as a way of taking out like 30 years of Dungeon Master frustration and that I apologized in advance. I was like, look, man, I'm just going to port into such a crazy powerful mechanic that i just i i can't not use it the idea that my entire character's fate's actually in the hand of dice rolls is just madness like, <laughs> which is whatever the dice happens that's what uh, oh no uh uh-uh. no 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 saving throw here's your four i'm on. guessing this character was lawful then <laughs> i like the chaos i yeah, a little bit um he <laughs> he, did, he was he was young he didn't know any better uh he way said, more powerful than he should have you said his name was algernon so an expert yeah. at mazes i imagine uh yes um <laughs> amongst amongst other things and then for an npc in rhyme of the frost maiden uh for anybody who knows it um valin harple uh of the harple family is one of the major npcs and is kind of the like narrative driving force for the players she's the one there that kind of is your you know kind of person on the ground that go here go there this is what we learned okay this means that that kind of thing um and i made her essentially like just this constant like presence in the party's uh like experience so that it grounded them to something outside of icewind dale and i played her i i just really think for like really like kind of egotistical i'm better than you wizards um and so i played her with this like exceptionally kathleen turner deep smoky uh val kilmer from uh, tombstone accent um just very proper and very southern and very condescending to the players that over the course of nine months these guys who like i i just love and adore them i was like this could be the end of our relationship they are just <laughs> sick of me just being this woman who just follows them around and just talks down to them all of the time and just does so just so matter-of-factly in this very like deep southern you know late 19th century accent it just it was so so much fun to play that character and anyone like that. That's a staple, I would say, of the fantasy genre is the wizard who knows better than everybody else. And then in the dragon game, it's the dragons. It's the same it's the same attitude, same energy. And it's 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 one of those things where you're like, I can't do this in real life. If I actually talk to people like this in real uh-huh. life, like I'd be punched in the face like once a week. <laughs> and so in this very safe atmosphere that we cultivate. Uh, on our channel like hey in exchange for you having fun playing dungeons and dragons you're gonna listen to me kind of berate your pcs for a little <laughs> while because that's my thing <laughs> i uh I, I played a character in a rokugan game we were playing a shadowlands game that was just uh a maho sukai which is their uh, blood witches who was cut from the exact same cloth knew well much better than the entire party like it was to the point when we traveled she had to be in her own palanquin separate from everyone else <laughs> Just so that, you know, there wouldn't be the association. (laughs) Uh, Algernon was too busy for interaction when they walked. He was always reading and would just, you know, the book out and people would try to talk to him and just kind of like hand wave them off or shh, hold on and like finish a page or something and be like you know they just keep talking like i know you hear me like okay <laughs> okay yes so, you were saying <laughs> so we've talked about obnoxious characters that showed up in games <laughs> like something i like to ask people about is who is there that guy at the table like the player that shows up that is just you know it's going to be a problem i'm not asking you to name any names no just uh what behavior should people not do i'll start at my table it's me <laughs> it sure is. Uh, i'm just gonna go i'm gonna own it right now this guy (laughs) it's it's i have two things essentially one of them is um when it comes to character creation i i don't want to limit i don't want to be that guy that says no you can't do this i don't 
Uh, it just, it's, it just, it, it, it's this power dynamic that I don't, I don't want to exist. It does, but I don't want to like very clearly define it. No. So the person who shows, okay, like I said, political intrigue campaign, uh, very slow, social, blah blah blah. If you showed up hell bent on playing like a nautiloid captain from spelljammer and you're just insistent that you're working on behalf of the king because your spaceship crashed and all this other stuff and instead of being flexible about the parts that very clearly don't fit in the setting um that's that's my one that guy you're like no you cannot play a space pirate <laughs> in this political intrigue campaign no like well blah 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 mm, no and then or the other one for the pcs to fit in the world sure and like i said and i i will absolutely work with you and i will find a way to make it fit but you have got to give something too because if i don't give my answer is just going to be flat out no and then i'm not giving either so we need to just like we said earlier 90 percent of problems can be done by talking so we'll talk it out and but if you're just no this won't work unless you know, he's flying Jabba sail barge all over <laughs> Eberron. That guy, and then the, for me, this is not that guy just across, you know, TTRPGs. I pride myself on doing narrative and roleplay focused campaigns. That is, that is what I do, that is what I sell on the front of the box. And so when you show up and you, you play, um, I, I want that to be important to you too. And if it's not important, I want you to understand that it is important to everybody else at this table. And if every single thing is going to be murder hoboed because you have some crazy paladin warlock multi-class that narratively makes zero sense, but mechanically is very strong. If you just want to you know, drive the sports car at 180 miles an hour, regardless of what everybody else is doing. That that's the other thing, and so it's just not part, being part of the group dynamic. I guess is the is the easy answer. So I agree 100. percent Yeah, I think your two guys are kind of a, a reflection of the same problem. That it's <laughs> you're telling a story together, and you want people who are on board for that. Yeah, that, that yeah, makes like, I, I always sense. think there's a time and place for power gamers, but in your in like a normal campaign where we are trying to tell a story, we're trying to have this social interaction where we're having fun together and building something together. Your three levels of this, four levels of that two levels of this might not fit in and i think yeah. your man's, all 20, your man's 22 okay years old when has he had the time to study all of these things to this degree so he's a paladin and then he was a cleric and then he what he was just a traveling bard like exactly. and, then he and then he and then he was like a cat burglar in Waterdeep. and you're like all right man look your dude's 23 years old like is he a prodigy like how does this go <laughs> And also, Doogie you know, Hauser. save uh, save Banjo the Mime Bard for the one shot. That's not somebody who shows up for a campaign. Yes. Right. Um, and if if you are hellbent on it, I don't want to hear you five sessions in going, hey, man, I don't think I don't think my bard's really kind of fitting in. Well, yeah, we 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 went over this. It's, <laughs> uh, yeah. And to, to the surprise of no one, what I said four weeks ago has come to fruition. And now you just get to go, huh? Look how this happened. <laughs> so, so moving on from that, uh, how about you share some of your Eberron love with us? Like, okay. say I'm someone who was just like looking for a game, and uh, you wanted to convince me to play Eberron. What are you gonna tell me about? It is one of what I believe to be the most grounded uh, Dungeons and Dragons settings, while still being very Dungeons and Dragons to it. As a political science history buff, uh, unlike Forgotten Realms and like Greyhawk, uh, it comes with clearly defined nations and leaders. And those nations have, you know, international interactions and relations. Uh, unlike Forgotten Realms, Keith Baker, the original um, kind of creator of Eberron, has said that uh, his timeline is never advanced at the. It came out in third edition. It was set in the year 998. Uh, when it came out in fifth edition, uh, 20 years later, um, still 998. It is not Forgotten Realms with the spell plague and all of that stuff where the lore just gets, in my opinion, like exceptionally convoluted. Like it is hard. Oh, yeah. If you ask anybody just the basic question, what year is it in Forgotten Realms? Nobody's going to give you an answer because, well, we're going to do this like before the spell plague or during the spell plague and all these things. And it just, it, it loses kind of this thing. Forgotten Realms also is just a big landmass. There's no 
like leadership structure. There's no international problems. They just, everybody's just one big country into these little tiny towns. And that's how that goes. Um, Eberron's not that. It is, it is nations. It is kings. Um, they have a very fleshed out yet simple kind of history. Uh, they are all descendant from the king who ruled the entire continent, uh, split it up amongst his children. Uh, and then when he died, a giant war of succession uh, slash international war that lasted 100 years took place. It ends uh, right where uh, the Eberron setting kind of begins. Uh, in the aftermath of this war. So it is a lot of like hurt feelings and what do we do now? And like I said earlier for the history buffs, it's very analogous to uh, like pre-World War One and pre-World War II Europe that you have all these things in the World War II sense. A war just ended, some people won, some people lost. The people who lost are mad about how they've been treated as a result that leads to you know kind of animosity and that brews over and if gone unchecked world war ii happens and whether it's my take on eberron or just kind of how it's laid out that that seems exactly how it's written out to me is that and so all of those things that you can have in dungeons of dragons dragons giants all these things you have all those in addition to this really kind of cool narrative framework um, to work with. Um, I also, As someone who's a stranger to the system, you've sold me. Okay. Um, I also, I have a very, like, shallow understanding of Eberron, so I, I know one of the things that gets people's attention about it is that magic is approached differently in Eberron than some of the other other traditional settings, like there's the lightning rail and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about that? It's, um, it's, uh, the easiest thing is that it's essentially, like, magic punk, um, as a concept. Uh, it, magic is so ubiquitous that, uh, there are, like, low-level NPCs called mage rites who exist that essentially do like work in cities and everything with the one spell that they have um some of them go along just lighting the lamps along the streets their little spell and it's so ubiquitous that it's actually it manifests itself in physical things and people beyond just everybody having like a cantrip essentially of you know how useful it is is up to you um and it's it's everywhere. So like a wizard is not a big deal. Um, your artificers, that's you know that's their their base setting. That it blends this kind of magic and science kind of concept. The artificer especially that it treats the use of magic less like something mystic, but something more understood that they've been able to harness for the betterment and sometimes you know detriment to society. So like wizards aren't a big thing. Um, um, you know, they have in the magic punk concept, uh, lightning rail, which is a trail, a uh, train that's powered by magic. And, uh, in a more limited sense, um, flying airships also powered by magic, but through the use of engineering as well. It's not casting a spell on this boat, making it fly. There's a mechanical system that at its root is powered by magic, I guess. Yeah. The, the airship is one of my favorite like tropes that has, I feel come from final fantasy over into role playing, you know, anywhere I can grab an airship. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, and it's this, it's this complicated, like I said, it's not just a spell cast on this boat that makes it fly. It is a very scientific process that very few understand and can actually harness. So it, it limits it. It's not that it's so ubiquitous. Anybody can fly an airship. Airplanes are everywhere. They're not going to let me fly one. Um, you have to be trained and you have to understand and then you know it creates these like subsets of people that have like these jobs and it's as a time frame they always draw it like late victorian england um you know the kind of waistcoat i wear a, a velvet waistcoat uh and tie to cosplay for the show so it it's your steampunk kind of aesthetic um just you know 86 scene sub sub magic I, if someone wanted to start with eberron what book would you recommend um the uh fifth edition uh source book is uh it's great it is it gives you everything uh that you would need and then uh beyond that um i'm not sure the licensing deal keith baker the original author uh keeps up on his blog where he just fleshes out 
every little aspect of his world uh, weekly. He also releases, uh, he released uh, Exploring Eberron uh, on the uh, Dungeon Masters Guild. It was a top seller for like ever. It's essentially um, the Eberron Sourcebook 2 um, with all the stuff that Wizards didn't get to and that Wizards sure's anything wasn't going to cover just <laughs> it's 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 just that kind of crunchy and nuts and bolts but yeah. if you're into it, it it's great but the the fifth edition um source book uh was rising from the last war yeah. rising from the last war is um it's it's great and then 3.5 because 3.5 was very splatty with its books um they have uh entire source books about like just the most kind of specific subjects dragon mark houses get their own book um the city of sharn gets its own book i have that yeah um, uh Kevin, if you're interested, uh, Jan and I actually still have some of the 3.5 books because he was really interested in the setting. Uh, so he got like the base book. We have uh, the Five Nations. We have the Jungle, the Jungles of Something book. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I can't. Um, there, I was like, I bought them on uh, on eBay over over time. But they'll scratch any itch, just like just like all the older editions, where they gave you entire source books about one subject, which has really been lacking in, depending on your perspective, lacking in fifth edition. And so, and once you have them, there aren't very many. Realistically, uh, fourth edition, I think, only got an adventure player's guide, a setting guide. I think that was it. Um, yeah, third edition. There's, here, there's only a handful for fourth edition. Yeah, third edition. There's maybe a dozen books. Um, so you can get pretty much the breadth and scope of all the official Eberron stuff in 20 books. If you're, if you're a collector of books, I very clearly am. But <laughs> Rising from the Last War is what really made me decide that we are going to do this when it came out. It's just, it's everything there and then leaves it up to you to extrapolate on, but you're never going, there's a whole, you know, there's no DLC concept like, oh, what about this continent? Eh, we didn't get to it. It's all in there. Can you, uh, can you, you mentioned earlier the dragon marks. Can you explain those a little bit? Because I think that, uh, that's something that people who are unfamiliar with the setting would be interested in. Their creation story involves, um, a story of dragons, um, fighting, creating the land, uh, one of them, uh, being kind of banished to the underworld and they're innate power as creators of the world um, manifest themselves in certain families. Um, they're called dragon-marked houses. Uh, these m things manifest themselves as a specific like kind of area. Um, House Orion is the mark of transport. Mechanically, I don't know what it does, but as a family, they become the nobility of of Eberron beyond the the monarchs and they are you know 18th century or late 19th century like industry barons they are in charge of overland travel and delivery and those kinds of things uh another house uh is the house of or the mark of healing i think um they essentially own clinics and they are all over the place and with that comes their power to heal innately from being born to this uh, this family, but also empowers them to create an industry and grow in influence in the in the setting as these things have been needed. One of them builds things, and when your entire nation is at war, they are the arms dealers for everybody. So while everybody else is dying, guess who's getting rich? The Dragon Marked House of Make. And those are the kinds of things that just, they don't exist in Forgotten Realms. Forgotten Realms is like the Zentarum and the Harpers, and those are your factions, and they're just a group of wizards or criminals. These are aristocrats, and you know, the corporations and industry titans of today they're the you know they're the elon musk and jeff bezos essentially of this world with amazon and tesla and those things backing them that they're not kings but they're pretty close and what they want more often than not gets done it might be better so, to be one of those than be a king sure sure i don't know how many guards ahead of a dragon marked house needs but i guarantee you it's probably less than the king <laughs> Um, last, uh, last thing to touch on in Eberron, uh, and this is one of my favorites, like, I think the Magic Punk even came through when they added races, because they gave us the Warforged and the Shifters. Um, could you just, in a nutshell, just give a quick introduction to each of those, just for the people who are wondering? So, the Warforged, um, you'll have seen them, they've made their way, 
uh, into fifth edition, at least into a lot of uh, my games, that they were the wartime creation of the Dragon Marked House, House Kenneth, um, that they were essentially non-sentient, like, cannon fodder, that they were created to exist, to you know, fluff out the armies of these nations who'd been fighting a hundred years war and probably seeing their populace dropping dramatically along the way uh, through one way. I don't ever think it's really been clearly defined. Um, these, they became sentient. And one of the big parts of Eberron um, that they always kind of accentuate is they've been sentient for a few years. Uh, so there's this whole populace now that were, you know, essentially inanimate objects years ago that are now people. How do they fit into society? How do they deal with their sudden burden of existential dread that the rest of us deal with every day? You know, suddenly they they seek purpose and you have to deal with the idea of i was created as an instrument of war i probably have before i gained my sentience do i want to atone for that do i it's that's always one of the interesting dynamics um warforged druids and warforged uh oath of ancients paladins being my two favorite just this mechanical thing that suddenly has organic sentient life that either that wants to fight for nature or appreciates its its beauty because it it's 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 alive it you know feels the same things that we do growing up with it our whole life outside's either pretty or it's not but here they are fully formed adults essentially with emotion and appreciation for things. And I imagine on a large scale concept of however many Warforged there are in your game, that's a hell of a thing to have just people suddenly aware of existence and how they react to that, knowing that they weren't always in charge of what they've done. Um, the shifters are uh, also very cool. Um, there's a couple of different kinds. Um, they have changelings, which are, depending on your origin, uh, a hybrid of doppelgangers and humans. There's no clear way to like test for one. I've been looking because I need to know that for our campaign coming up. Um, if <laughs> Ooh, they want teaser. to, they can they can they assume entire personalities. Um, and because they've been hunted, they will do their best to not congregate in like cultures of their own. There's not like a, a changeling, you know, city out in the countryside as the stigma. And the simplicity of all them being in one place would be bad for their survival. So most of them are in hiding. They are most likely somebody you probably know in prominence if you live in that world is probably a changeling who's just gotten away with it and has ascended to a position of authority, uh, not out of deception or, you know, just kind of being nefarious, like, haha, I'm going to pull this over, but much more just out of survival. The personality that they adapted, the, the look that they've adapted has succeeded for them. And in their culture, that is a great level of success that you are going to continue to exist. People aren't going to hunt you because you are so convincing at being this other thing. So from a game standpoint, that's really great. Um, the Kalistar deal with dreams which is always great. Um, they're a manifestation of dreams. Their home world is like some kind of in-between plane of dreams and the prime material. That's really cool. Um, and then they have shifters, which are just plain old, like kind of lawfully aligned. Um, uh, Almost like anthropes. Okay. Yes. Um, but without the kind of feral, I don't know, I feel like lycra, lycra therapy. <laughs> Werewolfism um, <laughs> is almost always treated like a disease and like a burden where to them, they're just kind of like light druids. We we can wild shape into this one thing at this one time. Um, and that's pretty much it. It's not the, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of dynamic. They're just, we're just, I'm, I'm this and I'm also, you know, this and furry. Hi, I'm Dave. I'm a little wolfy. Yes. Just yes. a little. Just, just a touch. Only, only from like ten to two at night. But, uh, <laughs> it has been great talking to you, Manny. Um, I have to ask you our, to you our last uh, compulsory question, and that is: if someone who's never played a role playing game at all were to ask you for your best piece of advice, what would you tell them? That 
you know, the understanding is that everybody would have played a video game. Um, and I, I've been playing video games since 1986. I got an, I got a Nintendo Entertainment System the first year they were available for Christmas. Nice. Um, Very and, and just like with, uh, TTRPGs, I took to it like instantly. And some of my best memories come from emotions that I felt playing a video game. I will say that as great of emotions as I felt at, you know, your your greatest games pick up, you know, Final Fantasy VII, Red Dead Redemption 2, whatever really moved you emotionally, I can have that almost every single session without it costing hundreds of millions of dollars to produce and years to develop that your investment if you are really open to what a tabletop role-playing game can can give to you and can do for you and you can do for it thank you john f kennedy um <laughs> the the emotions just the personalization and the investment is so much greater john marston and um whatever the guy is from Red Dead Redemption 2. They are Arthur great. Morgan. Thank you. They are great, great protagonists. I am only invested in them as far as I can be because they are somebody else's creation and I am doing my best to find my common ground with them to make them empathetic to me. Your tabletop role-playing game character, whether it is your personality and your mannerisms and all that other stuff, is, is you. It is your creation, everything about them, you have decided. That is an unbelievably powerful thing to embody something that is entirely yours in with other people who are doing the same thing. And to see just your achievement. Yes, I know we are five people sitting at desk chairs, talking into a computer, rolling dice. That is at its bare essence, that's what it is. But beyond that, the emotions and like, I I don't have any problem admitting, I've cried more than a few times during Dungeons & Dragons game, not because somebody died, but because there was just a powerful moment of like role play or sacrifice or something. And in video games, they happen because they do. But for me, it's like the big budget one. How often do they happen? How often does Red Dead Redemption 2 come out? Not very often. So even exactly. if you got it once out of that, which is awesome, you can feel that out of a game that's great. The possibility of it is not as high as playing whatever role-playing game you want to. Um, you know, Shadowrun, Blades in the Dark, uh, Swyhander, whatever. And that to me is the the thing that I really enjoy. It's the emotional investment that you literally get out of this what you put in. I love Batman to death. That movie was going to be what it was going to be no matter how much I cared about it because it's 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 passive, my participation in it, where tabletop role-playing game is as active as it gets with your own creation that in essence, I am trying to put obstacles in their way. Their triumphs and struggles are your triumphs and struggles because it's you. And that there's n there's nothing I can think of that that comes even close to that. And so if that's what you want, you, that's why you play video games to feel something. You watch movies because you feel you want to feel something. Your likelihood of being able to feel that is much higher playing a tabletop role playing game than I can really think of any other kind of medium out there. I think. Wow. I, I think that's all true. I wanted to shout testify a couple times. Uh, yeah. Inspiration. Not to minimize it but you're a hell of a hype man i i'm very like i i i really enjoy this like I, I i do i will not tell everybody it is not without a lot of work um two campaigns is is a lot uh two stream campaigns is is doubly so and i i don't sleep uh, i'm a chef so i work a lot i've got a wife and i got a baby or right, she's she'll be four i probably gotta stop calling her a baby um and this takes up a genuine lot of my time between writing balancing encounters making the maps uh all the little things the overlays all that stuff for to be honest with you i am not rich from twitch like i am I, when the leak came out about twitch revenue i was not on that list i know calm down it's not a shock um and so there's no there's no real financial reward that i I get to point to and go, okay, this is how much, you know, I quantify my efforts to be. And even if there was, it's not going to change how I do this. I just, I love it. This kind of converge of technology and how the community adapted because of the pandemic um, has just, I can, I was like, my wife and my kid are right outside this door where when I used to play home games, I have to drive 45 minutes. I have to pack all my stuff because I'm a dungeon master. Yeah. And I just pack it up, drive it all back, and then all this. Now it's like, all right, baby, I'm going to go do my show. 
go inside, I sit down, we do the show. I come out, she's right there. I don't drive an hour. It's just, I, I love it. And I just, I want more people. I want more people to do. I, I really love all that. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Of course. I really appreciate it. Um, so just to, you know, just to close up a little bit, uh, you know, listeners, thank you for joining us. As usual, you can find me at, at Schmombrew. That's at S-H-M-O-M-B-R-E-W on Twitter or at the Homebrew Schmombrew website. Uh, you can find the other host, Rodney, at Dr. Zoggle on Twitter. Um, he'd say some other nonsense here about uh, Discord, but I don't really listen to him, so I can't tell you all of it. Uh, <laughs> Kevin, where would they find you? Um, well, I am a nightmare goblin. Not exactly the most social breed, but I suppose I have an Instagram at Kevin stuff. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember if there's a hyphen or an underscore, but like, search me, you'll find me. I'm pretty distinct. Well, you're, um, you're a goblin and you did your best. So that's what we appreciate. Uh, thank you. Manny, uh, where can they find you? Uh, at Growed Up Geek, uh, Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, also, Growed Up Geek on, uh, yeah, on YouTube, just not the cool little URL to help everybody. <laughs> and uh, if they want to tune on, tune into your shows, what are the show titles again? Uh, Eberron, uh, our second season is going to be called Tranquility's Betrayal. Uh, it premieres uh, tomorrow night as of this recording, but it airs uh, Tuesday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern time on twitch.tv slash Geek, And then our Wednesday show, uh, same time, 7 p.m. Eastern time uh, for Dynasty of Dragons. And we're about halfway through that. And I'm going to pander here for a minute. So thank you for listening. Uh, if you enjoy what we do, please leave a comment, five stars, like, subscribe, do all of that. If this episode gets more reviews than the others, then Kevin can make fun of Rodney, which is something we all want to happen. And uh, as usual, note 150 experience points on your character sheet and join us next time. Thank you. Thanks, guys. It's been a lot of fun.